The sponsor of this episode is Clavio. Clavio accelerates momentum for e-commerce businesses and does it in a fast, reliable, scalable, and cost-effective way. See why over 2,500 innovative fashion and beauty brands like Chubby's, Taylor Stitch, and Bonobos sell more with Clavio. Learn how they're doing it at clavio.com slash glossy dash podcast. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is Christy Kaler, the founder of Four Days, a circular fashion company. Christy shared how she used what she learned as the founder of sustainable luxury fashion brand Mayette to launch Four Days, which sells t-shirts on a subscription basis, swapping out customers' old shirts for new ones, and upcycling the materials to eliminate waste. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining us, Christy. Thank you for having me. So Four Days launched a few months ago now. Is that right? So officially went live on May 30th, and we started taking memberships off the wait list middle of June. So it's been about seven weeks. Great. So <laughs> so tell us, it's it's basically a membership for t-shirts. How did that how did that come to come to be? Oh, goodness. I mean, it's a culmination of a pretty long career at this point, which is kind of terrifying to say out loud in fashion. <laughs> I've been in, in the business for about 15 years, but also um, at the forefront of kind of moving the industry forward through the lens of sustainability and also innovation and felt like as the rest of the world moves to the space of access over ownership, um, I think our industry is lagged behind in making that meaningful. And consequently, as a customer, we kind of have this burden of ownership. Things collect up in our lives and what do we do with them at the end? And it it the result is pretty hefty pollution problem. Um, but it also doesn't allow us the freedom to kind of have what we want uh, when we want it. And so we felt like t-shirts was a cool place to start. It's it's really an, one of the most historically iconic items of clothing. Um, so to apply a, a pretty innovative access model to it was a nice mashup. It's also a category where people, um, culture, age, gender, all find relevant. Um, so we liked the inclusivity of that and said, um, let's give people a new relationship to their product. So basically you pay a certain amount per month and then get a certain number of t-shirts per month and you send them back when you're done with them. Is Does it replenish on its own or do you decide how frequently they're delivered? How do you, how did you figure out all of the details around this model where people aren't, aren't really used to, to buying or using t-shirts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was one of those things like I had that personal moment in my life. So the, the, the model works. You can pay annually or you can pay monthly. And so you can pay $120 a year for unlimited exchanges of t-shirts or $12 a month for unlimited exchanges of t-shirts. You get three tees and they're kind of like spots in your wardrobe. So as they wear out, you order new ones. You put the old ones that are your old funky tees, whether they're stretched, ripped, stained, we actually don't care. You order fresh ones, you put your old ones back in that same bag, send them back to us, and we upcycle all the materials. So the idea is that you have a constant flow of fresh teas without creating waste. And so as kind of I looked at the fashion landscape or even my own personal life, t-shirts are things that wear out. We get pit stains, we get stretched necks, we get pills, and uh, why do we own them? There's really no residual value, and, and that is the thing that piles up, and we could donate them, but most donations go into landfill. Um, 
and I don't think really t-shirts are kind of a qualifier for the the sharing economy. <laughs> Nobody wants to share my pit stain t-shirt, right? right? So <laughs> it's like the idea of how, how do we have fresh teas without creating waste? And so, yeah, so they just float in and out, but you're in charge as the member. And so rather than saying we're forcing delivery on you, which I think actually reinforces the accumulation problem, you're in the driver's seat. You just order fresh ones when you're ready and you can order one, two, three, um, we don't care. You can change them out for sizes, for colors, for shapes. It's really flexible. And so it's kind of on your, on your schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and before launching four days, your, your most recent, uh, venture was Mayette. And so how did that, that designer position lead into something like this? What did you learn there that, that, that kind of influenced four days? Oh, we learned so much. I mean, it's just to take it a step back further. I spent my early years at the Gap. Um, Banana Republic and the Gap brand. So kind of in some ways, this is full circle, (laughs) having uh, been in a business where we sell a bunch of t-shirts. I think Mayette was interesting. When we launched, it was really a time where anything sustainably oriented or mission oriented was assumed to be really ugly. Um, as we went out into the market and said, we're going to make this really beautiful brand and work with artisans throughout the world. People were like, you're going to sell in Whole Foods? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like, no, we're going to sell in Barney's. Yeah, burlap? <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> and so it was confusing. And so we felt like in that moment, it was really important to kind of start at the top of the aesthetic food chain <laughs> to say, okay, we can do this really, really beautifully um, and have people connect to the product independent of the cause. And I think that lesson is uh, consistent in everything that I've done, where it's really about the product. It's increasingly about the service, which is what's so fun about four days. Um, But if the product isn't great, the design isn't great, and the service isn't there, it doesn't matter what else we're doing. Um, And so for me, with Mayette, we were kind of this little brand in a very big um, luxury space. And we were super dependent on wholesale. We sold to Barney's and Neiman's and Saks. And that's a difficult business to grow when you're tiny. Um, there's a tremendous amount of product marked down and returned. You don't have a strong connection to your customer in that sense, in that environment. And so I kind of felt like there was, it it, it was a really nice time to take all that I'd learned and take a step back and say, what's a bigger model that we could create to really change the industry in a more sweeping way. It's nice to have a small luxury brand and a, a luxury product and connect to those customers. But what if we could do something bigger? Um, so again, it, it, it was, Really fortunate timing. I also do some work with the World Economic Forum. I sit on this Global Future Council on Consumption. Mm-hmm. And so it's a ridiculously long title, but uh, it's cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a kind of squad with like the chief economist from Visa and somebody very senior at H&M and Alibaba and Rakuten just talking about consumption patterns 10 to 15 years out. That's our mandate. So it's very future forward. And I think unanimously we came to the conclusion that this access model is, is an unlock um, and really does feel like the future. And so as I was contemplating kind of my next step in, in life saying I wanted to do something bigger and, and more kind of model oriented and, and change the commerce platform, it felt like the right time. Yeah. Um, and it's, what's interesting is that in fashion, there are so many different definitions of what sustainability might mean. Um, I think on the, to your point about the, the model approach, you have uh, companies like The Real Real and Rent the Runway saying this is a sustainable approach to fashion because you're not creating, you're not buying into more 
waist you're not you know requiring you're giving like a so-so look (laughs) no 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 it's it is it's like I think in those models what's nice is you're using inventory more efficiently and you're not recreating things all the time but when you look at the landscape in total we have a supply chain pollution issue and we have an end of life issue which is what do we do when it wears out and it all wears out at some point right and so now it's the approach (laughs) of upcycling yes uh but before this when you were at Mayette and you wanted to create a a beautifully sustainable luxury brand what did sustainable mean for for that brand for Mayette we approached it from a social perspective um we felt like uh the artisan partnership was an unlock and aligning kind of our sustainability goals with the product goals and the customer goals which I think it's always important to align those incentives if you ask a customer to sacrifice on something you, you you won't engage with them in the right way. And so for that moment in time, artisanship felt like really the nice gateway into that connectivity. Um, in artisanship, it's also interesting because a lot of times it's hand batch dyeing and it's, it's, it's a very kind of handcraft, so it doesn't require a lot of electricity. So there's an inherent sustainability in that. Um, but it was less environmentally focused and more, more employment focused. Mm-hmm. And it's such an overwhelming issue. I, I think, uh, that, that, that fashion has in dealing with its sustainability problems and, and just the impact it has on the environment and in working, um, on this board that you're on, how do you, where do you even begin? Uh, you mentioned that what came out of all these conversations was the idea of access over ownership. Where, where else do you think that, um, companies should be focusing their efforts? Uh, what, what are some of those conversations like? Yeah. I mean, I, I also have done some work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. They do a lot around the circular economy concepts. And um, that to me is equally fascinating because it's the idea that nothing's destroyed. Um, we're actually using raw materials over and over and over again, and we design for that. And I think that's the kind of critical element, which is you can't just deal with it at the end. You actually have to deal with it on the front, um, which means engineering your supply chain to be more responsive, less wasteful, both from a raw materials perspective, but stop overproducing so much product. How do we actually make the right product and give it to people at the right time? And then what do you do when it's when people are finished using it? And so that idea of circularity for me is, is really a big idea um, that I think more and more of the industry is embracing, which right. is great. Yeah, I, I know we've... We've talked to brands like Eileen Fisher where they're they're thinking about how the th- the garments they could be making could in the future be you know reused into and produced into new things. Uh, how does that change the design process from the outset? And and it seems like it's it's hard to impose something on the industry. You ask like okay, change like put limitations around the way that you design. Because if you have to do that, then you might not even get product out the door. And then you're like you said, you're sitting on all this inventory that that doesn't sell or you know, it, it doesn't matter if you can't get to the end point. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly, it's such a challenge. And I think for established supply chains, it's even harder. Um, in our case, it's why we chose something pretty focused because we said, great, we can control the inputs. We can start with materials with integrity, hundred percent got certified organic cotton that allows us to know what's coming out of the cycle, which means we can then upcycle it. Um, when you have a broad kind of range of, let's say poly cotton blends or stretch, it just makes it harder. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely something that's specific to your business and your product category. I think in some ways putting restrictions around design and, and giving yourself parameters can 
increase creativity. Um, but it's, it's definitely a challenge and I think it's just unique to each brand and what they, what they're offering. Mm -hmm. And, and so what's the design process for, for four days? Like obviously right now it's, it's simple. It's, it's t-shirts. Uh, there's some variations, but obviously if you want to expand into other categories, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. T-shirts are surprisingly not simple. (laughs) Yeah. I say that from my non-design background. (laughs) No, it's not that. It's just, it's a classic thing with like the, the simplest things are actually the hardest to master sometimes. But I mean, for us, it's integrity of materials going into it, understanding our supply chain, understanding where, um, where the products come from and the fact that they're certified. So that's really important. So for the near term, our view is keeping with the natural materials. So keeping with cotton bases, but that allows us to extend into woven fabrics, um, other knit fabrications, uh, we're doing just for fall and holiday, some waffles, some fleece. So, um, that's kind of tip of the iceberg, but you can imagine also getting into foundational programs like socks, underwear, camis. Um, so for us, it's, it's starting with the natural materials and extending in. Right. And, and you mentioned a few basics, basic products. Uh, do you see a space for something like this? That's more trend driven. Yeah, I think it's really interesting where this can go as like a platform for circular consumption. We say this is a new OS for living. It really is a new way of relating to product. And ultimately, we would welcome people who wanted to design product that was made for a circular economy, meaning we could envision an end of life solution to it. It could go in a variety of directions. I love the idea that it can service more and more of your lifestyle. We're going to take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, Clavio. Whether it's being able to execute marketing ideas you didn't know were possible or bringing to life the ideas you didn't have the tools or resources to do before, Klaviyo makes it possible for you to level up. You can try it for yourself at klaviyo.com slash glossy dash podcast. Now back to the episode. So it's, it's early days, obviously, but how do you pitch this idea to customers and, and say, okay, instead of just buying t-shirts at the, at the store, like you might you sign up and it, you know, how do they, how do you make sure they don't scare them off by making it seem like just shopping for something like a t-shirt has become this whole part of the, this life that they have to manage now? Yeah. I mean, the thing is it should be easier. And so our kind of presentation of the service models, like we've, we, you can exchange whenever you want. And I think that idea of having everything you want without creating waste is the great dynamic. Um, right now it's having all the t-shirts you want, hopefully, and very soon it'll be more and more of what you want. Um, but it's, it's really perfecting that service model and saying, we are here to help you exchange. We have a high touch level of customer service. Um, and what's resonated with people is this idea that I can get really high quality teas, consistently fresh teas. Um, don't want to go back to the store for those all the time and I don't want them to accumulate so right and and what's the what's some of the early you know first things you've learned about customer behavior with this with this model as as I'm sure you're you're watching very closely in the in the first few months yeah it's interesting we have this little kind of dynamic about the model which we thought would be like an obvious extension and and a service extension, which is that you actually receive fresh teas before you have to return your old ones. And for us, it was like, great, you don't have to be without your teas. Like there's nothing that you don't have to worry about sending back and then receiving. There's a lag time, but that's a new muscle for people to order first. So, um, that, that we're working on messaging and, and trying to reinforce, um, that receive return receive return instead of return receive because <laughs> it's a new it's a it's a learning curve uh it's so yeah what's that what's that um outreach just been like in, in terms of just finding the customers because it's not just oh make nice product and, and customers will come you have to find the people who will be willing to try this out when it's a relatively new way of shopping we've found just some very enthusiastic people who totally get it 
they're like, oh my goodness, this service is my lifestyle. This makes perfect sense. I buy t-shirts regularly. I love t-shirts. I'm a t-shirt person and I don't have to do so much work with this. Um, so I think that's been very early kind of mindset adoption. Um, I think there's a lot of flexibility in the system, meaning you can cancel at any time, you can exchange at any time. So we're not trying to handcuff you to something that doesn't feel comfortable, but at the same time, it's like a dose of familiarity with a dose of something new. Um, it's still a pretty easy shopping shopping environment. Um, so we're, we're learning as we go. And that annual payment option also gives some flexibility. If you've never exchanged within a year, you can keep your tees. So, um, if you, if you don't opt in, then you've just essentially bought a $40 t-shirt, <laughs> which people do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so in you're based in LA, uh, why did that seem like the right, the right place, um, for four days? Obviously this, you have to be very hands-on with the supply chain. I'm sure. Uh, tell, just give us a little bit of a, a peek under the, the hood of how you work, um, in the way of the supply chain, manufacturing design, and then upcycling. Yes. Yes. So I was in, eight, in New York for eight years until March. <laughs> so very new, very new to Los Angeles, still back here a lot. So that's, that's always nice. Um, for us, controlling the supply chain is really both a competitive advantage and almost critical. Um, I think in the typical sense, supply chains can get very lengthy and very um, kind of wasteful. And so just you know, purely in the way we manufacture, but also being so distant to market, it causes excess inventory. And so we early on decided that manufacturing was actually going to be core to the culture of the, the company because revolutionizing that gave customers more of what they want. So what we're doing is slowly verticalizing manufacturing. Uh, the first footprint for that will be in Los Angeles, um, working on a facility design and build using some pretty cool, like innovative, sustainable materials. We actually found a building block that's made from uh, post-consumer apparel waste. So really great place to kind of put some of that building innovation. But in in verticalizing, we can control how we produce, when we produce, and how we get it to market. The bigger vision being that we can go deeper into the supply chain with that manufacturing strategy and, again, take more and more waste off the table. Right. Just having that control, I'm sure, makes all the difference. But how do you make sure that you – you mentioned part of – a big part of tackling sustainability is making sure you are thinking about it before you get to the actual manufacturing. So how do you – how far out is your production cycle and, and how are you sort of maintaining – inventory so that so that you're not you don't have all this excess product um i'm sure there's there's a lot of t things involved in doing yeah that. <laughs> there is i mean i think we're in a cool space now where technology is enabling us increasingly to get better at knowing our customers and making things in a more kind of efficient way and where it used to be like supply chain planning and then customer experience and design now we have technology that it 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 kind of connects all of those dots. And so, I mean, it's super early days for us. So just in the short term, we've been controlling kind of inflow of customers so that we can ensure we had the inventory to service them. But as we get um, to scale, it's about being more sophisticated in our predictive models, really connecting with our customer and understanding your individual behavior. So what's kind of exciting, very exciting about this model is we're not selling you more and more product. We're selling you the service and the access to the product. So for us, it's about understanding you and saying, okay, you like to buy tank tops in July. <laughs> so on July 1st, we say, hey, we like we, we know you like to buy tank tops. Here they are. So we can start to predict that. And that allows our inventory to be a lot more customized to our, our membership base. Right. Yeah. So how do you, you get to that point where you can understand and predict that, that customer data? Like how do you you know, what are you tracking when customers are on the site versus when they have the t-shirts with them versus when they, they send them back? Um, what, what are all the data points that kind of go into making those informed decisions and how do you see that laddering up in a way that, you know, other retailers might be able to make these better decisions? 
Yeah. For, I mean, it's interesting because we have the beginning of life data, which everybody has, you know, when product goes out, but we know when it comes back. So we start to have life cycle information that really has been fairly guess in the past. Um, and so instead of just more, 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 we can say, when are you ready? And so for us, we track actually each item at the individual level. So the, the actual unit we know goes to which customer when and when it comes back. So we have unique serial IDs on each, on each item. And so it's that, that level of visibility into product use is I think something that'll be very useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that post purchase yeah. uh, life cycle of the of the garment, I think, is, is it unlocks a huge amount of information that that other retailers just don't have. And so, you mentioned you're you're speaking to other brands like H and M and companies like Alibaba. And do you see like there's room in in fashion, which has always been a pretty closed off uh, competitive industry, for open source sustainability? Like, how do you when you're operating this this system? You you call it OS for life, but like, how do you see it working as something that could apply to other? retail brands. Absolutely. I mean, we, we love the idea that this is a platform for circular consumption and truly does service more of your lifestyle. I mean, highest level, let's be Amazon, but circular, um, which, which really does welcome other people in, into the fold. I think, as you said, traditionally fashion's been a very insular, um, competitive environment. I think that is opening up a little bit more. There's some more kind of cross industry initiatives around sustainability, around kind of collaboration on sustainability and whether it's supply chain materials, post-consumer recycling, that's helpful. Um, but from my view, it's the more the merrier um, in in operating this way because I think it just kind of makes sense, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be all eyes on this on something like this because you know we've seen Rent the Runway where you are sort of swapping in clothing, but but you know like you said, it's not tearing down the garment and then making something new and and really tracking that lifestyle from a single brand perspective. Um, and so it's just this like we're we're entering this world of like alternative retail models. And how do you see that? Where do you th- see these trends being driven from? Um, obviously, there's there's just the need to come face to face with the fashion's impact on the environment. But why now have companies been like, okay, we're in a position where we can actually do something about this because the industry had kind of operated for the same in the same way for so long, for so long, mm-hmm. very long. <laughs> I mean, I, I think in some cases it's out of necessity, and then in other ways, if you look at the rest of our life, it's moving in a specific direction. So whether it's music, entertainment, uh, travel, transportation, everything is moving to this access model and physical goods are kind of the last to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think people like Rent the Runway have, have really paved the way to saying, oh, we can relate differently to the product. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then it's, it's born out of necessity. There's not a tremendous amount of excess profitability in our industry. And when you look at it as a whole, and this was kind of a driving force for me, not just from a sustainable sustainability perspective, because it's the right thing to do. But when you think about how much we waste, that costs everybody money. Um, it's not, it's not efficient from a financial perspective. And so are there new models that unlock real value for the customer and their experience for the product and the way we can produce and for the bottom line? Um, so I think all of those have to work together for it to be powerful. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it works from, from your like financial standpoint there, you're getting these monthly payments or annual payments. And so in terms of like how, how a brand reaches profitability, we've looked so often at so many new, uh, rising direct to consumer brands who've raised a lot of money and they've kind of come to terms with the fact that it's really hard to make returns on, on a consumer goods brand. It's, it's a really hard industry to, to scale to, to these heights. And so how do you see this like 
recurring revenue model where you've people coming back and checking in constantly kind of opening up like a new frontier for how businesses are become viable you know like companies like fabletics and a stitch fix where you're not just you're not just charging people like out every single month for for no reason it's it's pulling people back into the brand and and forcing them to interact with it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as like a relationship, um, which I think is, is exciting and the big opportunity. How do we create that conversation with our members? How do we know them better? And then that relationship services their lives. And so if we can make your relationship to product easier and less burdensome and less time consuming, then it's a real value add. And we can do that by having a longer term um, relationship and the financial kind of monthly piece of it helps helps that progress at the right pace. Right. Because it seems like right now, and this is what we're we're always writing about and exploring, the customer has such a more influential position with with the where retail is going, how brands are are servicing them. Um, and so something like this you think has to like customer loyalty, that, that, that's a, something that's built right into the model. And so how did you sort of fit in, obviously, this idea that what access is, what ownership is, um, and just the idea that people run out of their t-shirts and use them so frequently. How do you, how did you sort of fit that customer push into the business? It's, I mean, the reason we chose something like t-shirts is it is something you run through a lot. And so it's actually kind of came from a personal experience. I just moved apartments and did that classic purge where I I literally like had so many things. I set up a boutique in my house and had friends come just take it, sold things to the real real. It's great. But I was still left with this like pile of stuff. And I'm like, what is it? And that was the pit stain t-shirts and the single socks. And I think in that experience, I was like, there's no residual value to this. There's actually no extended value to my ownership. So why do I own it? It just accumulates. And so instead of accumulating clutter, what if I could accumulate impact? What if I could simplify my life? We're so busy and I think we have no time and even less attention. So our relationship to, to shopping and clothing has changed. And I think there's a service opportunity there to say, we're going to make your lives easier and better. Mm-hmm. And and I think just to touch back how you're communicating with the customers, like how has that educational piece playing out? Because it seems like kind of one of those things where people aren't directly asking for it, but it does fit into where customer trends are going. And so it's kind of just connecting those dots. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we start with the service and the product and say, this is a great service model for you to have constantly fresh teas, um, unlimited exchanges, 100% organic teas with 0% waste. And I think um, then all of the positive effects of that behavior become evident. um, And the sustainability piece is actually the output, not the input. Um, And so that's, that's really our messaging hierarchy, as I said, a new OS for living, uh, free yourself from the burden of ownership. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and just looking forward to how this might have like a ripple effect throughout the retail industry, having been at a company like Gap before, or or like working with someone alongside someone at H&M, who's tasked with that, you know, sustainability, uh, burden there. Like, how do you, uh, where can a large companies begin to even consider shifting models? Like, how do you take something that's been in, in, uh, production in the same way for so long and, and start to tweak it so that it feels more like a, a modern approach to retail and consumption? I think it's really hard. Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it's really difficult. And I think, I think that, uh, the supply chains as they as they exist today are are pretty entrenched. And so I think there are things in 
looking at suppliers, looking at compliance, looking at kind of outputs, looking at material innovation. Um, but I do think it's hard for those bigger businesses to actually shift models and economic models. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as four days as a brand, we, you, you know, we've seen digitally native brands, they start to open stores and now they're starting to work with outside retailers, uh, to scale and, and find customers online or offline where they, where they still happen to shop. Um, where do you see that playing out that, that piece of the retail model? Is there a room in that, in that system for physical retail for outside partners? Um, where do you see the next stage in the next few months? Yeah. I mean, given my background, I'm a big retail fan. So I think having that customer touch point is, is really important. So we're doing a pop-up in New York in September. Um, so it'll be the first time that we have a physical presence, um, under the brand and, being able to just talk to talk to people and have them try things on and see how they relate to the service and see what's working for them is is invaluable. Um, I think I am a big fan of small footprint retail. I think, you know, those huge kind of gallery esque stores can be quite inefficient, and so we're thinking about it through a smaller footprint lens and how that extends. Um, I think in our model again, they're really interesting partnerships that are kind of unconventional. So where we can create pickup and drop off, um, who are partners for that? Are they hotels? Um, are they where are we meeting? Where are we meeting our members in their life? And it doesn't have to just be on a street in Soho. It could be in a lot of different places. Right, and and we've talked about a few other. Um, businesses, retail businesses, um, who, who really inspired that, the four days? And then how did you sort of, how did that build up from when you were at Mayette to starting the new business? Yeah. I mean, it really does go back to being at The Gap so many years ago and uh, being very fortunate in that experience to be quite entrepreneurial in a very big company. And so got the great training from running a very large business, but the freedom to launch and grow businesses within that context. And so I grew, I launched Banana Republic Petites for Banana. I lived in Japan for a year and ran the business there. I spent a lot of time in our Asian factories. And in that experience, I I was really profoundly moved. It was definitely a, a pivotal moment for me because I saw the magnitude of production and you drive two and a half hours outside of Shanghai and see these dormitories filled with factory workers generationally who've potentially never left. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I'm really disconnected to the way we make product. And um, it doesn't feel right. And I know how to do something, which is create great product and create great experiences. I think I need to do something that matters a little bit more Mm -hmm. and changes things in a positive direction. And if I care, I know there are other people out there who care. Um, So for me, it was that moment I took over Product Red for The Gap uh, in the early days, and it was really the first of its kind. So um, that was an exciting project to work on. And we did a lot of sourcing strategy in Africa to kind of align the product story and the the mission with the origin. I mean, at the time, we were making T-shirts in China to help the cause of AIDS in Africa and to say, let's make T-shirts in Africa to help Africa. People were like, huh? (laughs) Why would we do that? It was like such a, you know, it just didn't exist. And so to watch the industry move and become increasingly connected to, to individual values and, and, and I think really for the power of the customer to have a choice, um, has become exciting. And I think we're in that moment right now where, um, that's increasingly important to people. Right. And and customers have more choice than, than ever before. And, and, and like you said, the bar, the, just the retail industry has changed so much and the bar for starting a new brand is so much lower. Do you think that designers now who are entering the industry have a bigger, you know, burden to, to address these problems and and think of ways that they can start a business that isn't just the most traditional way of, of conducting businesses like designers might've done in the past. Burden, but opportunity. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say that because, again, as you said, there's a lower bar to entry, which is cool. Customers care more, which is cool. There is more material innovation. Um, there is more supply chain innovation. It's still really hard to start a brand and can be quite expensive. So that undertaking is not to be taken <laughs> lightly. Right. Um, but I think there there's space to move in into um that hasn't been there in the past. I mean, when we started Maya in 2010, again, to do something mission oriented was just like so confusing to people. And now it's not. So, and we're almost out of time, but as you've been uh, creating the brand and and launching it and, and sort of introducing it to people, do you find that it's what, what happens when you lead with the product itself versus the model and the mission? Like how is that uh, received differently on both ends? So, I mean, the product and the, and the model are pretty connected because it's this idea that you're getting amazing t-shirts on constant refresh. And I think that that makes a light bulb go off for people, which is like, wait, that's possible. Why haven't I seen this before? And that's a great feeling to, to, to hear that back where people like it's so clear. I would love to do that. Um, we got a great note from a woman in Dallas recently who had subscribed and, and joined and she, she sent her t-shirt back and she just like wrote a handwritten note. And she's like, your t-shirts are so awesome. I'm obsessed with your service. I spilled wine on my light blue t-shirt and I'm exchanging it. It's perfect. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's an example of exactly what it is, which is like that connection is important enough regardless of the actual deep, deep mission and the bigger picture. Um, and then there, there's a, a, there's a nice story there to kind of get familiar with as, as is relevant for each individual. Mm -hmm. And, and as we're, we're looking towards the, the rest of your first year, what's the most pressing priority right now? <laughs> so many. <laughs> um, it, we've been in, in this kind of almost like beta zone. And so really learning from our members, uh, setting up infrastructure to scale, uh, working on the pop-up and, and all the communication around that and getting set for that. We're doing a lot of programming in the store, which is going to be really exciting to kind of reinforce this idea of a new lifestyle. So whether it's wellness and lack of clutter and, and just feeling lighter. <laughs> um, so that's exciting to set up. And then moving into the holiday time period and really setting up an easy way for this to be giftable. Mm, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so that's that we're working on too. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. This is really oh, interesting. So much fun. Thanks. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.